Hello, and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. ESG is the buzzword of the moment, and investors have been piling into these environmental, social, and governance stocks for a number of years. Figures from the Investment Association show that there is currently 83.9 billion of investors' cash in responsible investment funds in the UK, with 743 million invested in these products in January alone. The stocks in these funds are typically correlated with the tech industry, and especially tech startups, whose market performance has stuttered in recent months. I'm Sally Hickey, a senior reporter, and with us this week are Ben Yearsley, an investment consultant at Fairview Investing, and Ryan Hughes, Head of Investment Research at AJ Bell. Hi both, and thank you for joining us. Hi. Um, Ben, I'll come to you first. Does ESG have to be dependent on tech stocks? Not tech stocks, but growth. I think there was a lot of, you know, you roll back two years and ESG friendly, positive impact, all that kind of area had been on a tremendous run for three, four, five years. And um, and then obviously all fell apart you know, post-COVID or pre during COVID, post-COVID in terms of performance. And I think there's a lot of people probably hadn't realized that ESG and, and positive impact and all that kind of area was ultimately just long-term growth stocks and they'd kind of possibly conflated that you know put two different things together oh well that's that and that's that but reality is esg trends and esg characteristics are very common in growth stocks you know sustainable growth tick you know good governance tick uh, uh balance sheet light all these kind of things just led to growth stocks rather than tech so i think i think you know, there is an argument that they are very tech tech heavy, but I think it's growth, not tech, is the is the honest answer. Sure. And Ryan, is there anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I think uh, I think some of the clues were there. Ben and I, dare I say it, Ben, we're both old enough, perhaps, to remember um, the technology bubble of 99, 2000. And I'm sure Ben will recall, as I do at the time, that ethical investing, as it was known then, was hugely popular, funnily enough, because small cap and growth did really well during during that time. So there is a little bit of a uh, history repeating itself here that when we see growth doing well, when we see smaller companies doing well, and when we see technology doing well, that you can read across into ESG-related funds also performing uh, positively because, as Ben quite rightly says, lots of the areas, um, the, the characteristics of these companies fit that bucket really, really neatly. Um, so I think we have been here a little bit before, uh, and it's important, therefore, that investors do really, as ever, understand what they're buying and what they're getting into. And Ryan, what do you think the outlook for uh, the sort of immediate outlook in the next one to five years would be for these ESG responsible investment or or growth stocks, whichever way you'd sort of phrase it? Yeah, I mean, if, if we look at it from a pure kind of macroeconomic perspective, well, interest rates are likely to rise from here. We, we, we know that. The Fed have made that pretty clear recently with six rate rises penciled in for this year and, 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 and longer term, the direction of travel feels like it's up. So naturally, that creates a little bit of a headwind for growth stocks as we're talking about the, the value of their future profits uh, being worth less. Uh, because of higher interest rates applying to a higher discount rate. So that does create a little bit of a headwind. 
But, but at the same time, if we think about the terrible events that are going on in Ukraine right now and the importance of energy security, actually what that means on the other side is that huge amounts more money are likely to be going into uh, environmental projects and alternative energy and those, those types of things. So you've got a little bit of a macro head, headwind. Uh, but equally, you've got likely to be a very strong government tailwind uh, behind this. So I think if we separate out the short term and the long term, the long term story for me looks strong. But absolutely, there's likely to be some bumps in the road because of the macro political situation that we're in. Sure. So in, uh, and the investors that we'll be speaking about will uh, be investing in the long term. So for them, it's very much a, you know, brace yourself for a bit of volatility, but ESG isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, I think you know, investors have, until very recently, investors have benefited from actually these things going up pretty much in a straight line with very little volatility. And we know that that type of behaviour and performance is abnormal. Um, what we're entering probably is a much more normal phase of investing where there is volatility, there are bumps in the road, uh, and that things aren't a one-way bet. Um, we shouldn't be scared by that. And it's important that any investors that think about investing in, in the ESG space go into that understanding that could and will potentially be the performance profile over the next few years. Sure. Ben, would you agree? Yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, I suppose, as Ryan alluded to, it's going to be more stock specific going forwards. And I think, you know, you need to make sure you don't mix up ESG and just assume that means green and clean energy um, because they are clearly too anyway, green and clean is, is one part of ESG but it's not ESG investing and I think Ryan's right there is going to be huge tailwinds behind energy security and actually by the way I still think that the likes of Shell and BP which are um, uh, ESG investors have been um, prevaricating over for the last few years are going to be here and going to be the energy leaders of the future and I think the some ESG investors are probably looking a bit silly about that now. Um, but, you know, you need to make sure you don't, you know, the, the whole clean energy and energy revolution is a long-term theme. Now, there's going to be short-term headwinds. You know, you look at the, the, the hydrogen stocks, and they've been all over the place in the last sort of 18 months um, or so. But they are going to be vitally important going forwards. So if you can look through the short-term volatility, which there will be with rising rates then i think you've got a very good long-term investment theme backed by demand government demand structural forces uh the uh, as well as energy security and clean energy there's all these different things playing for that one thing i think the outlook for esg investing more generally will be more linked into the interest rate outlook and and inflation and things like that so i think there are you know a good ESG company may well struggle in the next few years if it's more growth orientated. Whereas I think that, yes, Ryan said the structural tailwinds behind clean energy and energy security will put that subsector into a different trajectory. So do we need almost to get rid of the term ESG and to start uh, referring to kind of more specific sectors as they are, as opposed to lumping them together in this big sort of ESG growth tech general? Oh, good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of these things really are that helpful. I mean, what is ESG really? You know, all these fund managers are going on about how brilliant they are at ESG. What a load of rubbish. They've been good at G, probably. They've latterly moved on to E and S, probably. But G has always been, you know, talks to most fund managers, good governance is what they always wanted. Even, you know, even if you're a value investor, you want good governance. 
And lastly, they then pick up on the E and the S and go, oh, look, we're good at that as well. Um, and they're all talking rubbish, aren't they, frankly? So I don't think ESG itself as a phrase particularly helps. And I, it's not something I worry about particularly myself. Um, but I do think that, yeah, splitting out and looking at energy security and other subsectors or other areas is more helpful in the long term because you haven't got an ESG sector. It doesn't exist. It's not an homogenous group like energy, like banks, like financials, like anything else. It's not It's not one thing. And therefore, it can be misleading and, and lead you to probably putting poor portfolios together or unbalanced portfolios, I should say, not poor portfolios. Ryan, you're nodding there. Yeah, I think it's absolutely right. One, one of ESG as a term is not that helpful when everyone now says they do it. I get when you get to that point, you need to start thinking about how you slice it differently. I mean, what we're seeing when we talk to managers is is, is almost a little bit of ESG creep going on, where some some funds that absolutely yeah are not run in an ESG manner are starting to say, well, maybe we'll start excluding certain stocks and certain sectors because they don't agree with my values. Uh, rather than taking the whole investment universe and saying, well, I'm a UK equity investor, therefore my universe is the FTSE all share, for example. Well, yeah, that's probably what investors want when they're looking at your fund, not um, FTSE all share minus a certain sector. If they want that, I suspect they're going to go to a dedicated, responsible, sustainable or whatever other label strategy that, that we have on it. So I think we do need to start going one level further down and understanding exactly how the different strands of the E and S and the G get applied uh, and, and then we can start drawing some distinctions between different strategies which will be helpful I think for us when we're analyzing funds but ultimately will be much more helpful for the end investor who quite frankly right now I suspect is a little bit confused. Yeah and I guess we're, we're getting to the point where the term ESG is so in an investing um, context is so overused that it is almost getting to the point where it's meaningless. Well it's also taken over from things like ethical Nobody talks about ethical investing anymore. Um, whereas, again, going back to what Ryan said 20 years ago, uh, in the tech boom, tech bubble, that was. And ethical investing is very different to ESG investing. Now, with ethical, you're obviously looking at uh, loads of exclusions and you know, um, you know, animal testing and all those kind of things, a lot of which may well pass an ESG criteria or probably will pass ESG criteria. And so it does seem to have taken it ESG does seem to have taken over everything in a bad way actually um and, and to the to the detriment of other areas that might get missed and are still potentially important yeah I mean there's certain positives that have definitely come out of this there's certainly yeah, a spotlight on governance a spotlight on voting and engagement I think that's really that's really helpful and positive in the long run um there so that that's where things have moved on from a ethical investing standpoint which is let's just negatively screen out the poor companies that we don't want because they operate in a certain sector that we don't like so actually let's engage let's let's understand how these companies operate let's see if we can change some of their behavior so there's a definite positive uh trend that's that i've seen develop over the last uh, 20 years and it's an accelerating trend so that that is a definite uh, good thing that comes out of this but you're absolutely right when everyone calls themselves and says they integrate esg into their process you start coming to the point of realising that the label itself has become a little bit unhelpful uh, and that more detail is needed. And of course, the challenge out of all of that comes when we all know that there's no one singular definition 
uh, of what this means uh, and that those of us talking about this today could come up with a we'll all have different views and beliefs and sets of values and that's absolutely true when you read across into into the fun world i've started to see the word impact being i would say used in different ways now impact's got a very specific meaning uh, and we're starting to have i'm starting to see responsible what i would class responsible funds call themselves impact funds uh, and i would say that they're not impact investors in the true sense of the word so again we're starting to see the definitions move and and, and shift uh, there and uh, it, it is making meaningful comparison between strategies increasingly difficult and I mean, who at the end of the day, how, you know, do you both think it's possible to define what is an ESG stock and who should be doing that definition? Should it come from uh, the regulator and how you name funds or should it come from the IA creating, you know, new small sectors instead of the big responsible investment sector, which swallows everything it, up? Individual companies. No, I, I think it's down to effectively down to each manager ultimately to to determine whether they think a stock is good on the ESG or not uh, good or bad on the ESG basis because as well don't forget you know that doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to invest in it either you know we're getting to the point where it isn't um you know should should you invest in bad ESG stocks I, I think you should I don't have a problem with it um but it is interpretation personal interpretation i suppose and obviously loads of fun groups say well we, we use msci and morningstar data but it's not very good and then we'll just do our own stuff on top of that now i've got no comment on whether the, the msci morningstar esg ratings are good bad or indifferent but most fund managers say we use that as the base and then do our own analysis on top so effectively they're all making their own mind up whether an esg stock is good or bad and that happened with um with boohoo last uh, summer before last when it blew up and you had you know, one fund saying it's brilliant on the SG and another fund saying it's really bad on the SG. You know, so it is down to personal interpretation because I don't think you can legislate, for want of a better phrase, to determine whether a company is good, bad or indifferent in that sense. It's not up to the IA. It's not up to whoever else. It's up to fund managers because ultimately they're, they have to answer to their end investors about why they've got stuff. You know, why have you got Boohoo when they were outsourcing to cheap foreign labour? You know, how's that ESG friendly? You've said you're an ESG fund. You know, it's up to them to kind of have to answer. So I, I don't see the need personally for anybody to come in and legislate for that to say, we're saying this is good, we're saying this is bad, personally. And how would that work, um, Ryan, from a sort of advisor stock picking, uh, advisor fund picking um perspective that seems to me like a big body of work for advisors to understand what their clients want to understand each individual fund manager that they want to invest in where are we on that you know is that something that some advisors are already doing where are we on that kind of yeah, um, it, it is a piece of work but it's it, if you think about it if you take a step back and think about it it's no different to the work that they'll already be doing thinking about comparing a uk growth manager with a uk value manager with a uk quality manager you know, for example at the end of the day, you still need to lift the bonnet and understand the strategy and the types of company that they're likely to be investing. But it does add to the work that they have been doing up until this point. I think in my conversation with advisors, I think I think it's fair to say that their different ones are on different stages of the journey uh, with this. Some of some are quite ahead of the, the game and, and really understand the space very very well. Uh, others are just you know, just starting to to get to grips with it. Uh, and I think that's probably true in across the whole the whole spectrum of the industry. Uh, to be honest, but it, 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 so it, it, yes, it's more work, but it's the same kind of work 
we're already doing, um, but it does add a layer of complexity uh, to it. And we do need to peel back. Yeah, if, for example, if you if you take the UK equity space there, if something calls itself UK growth, it's pretty easy. There's a very good chance that you know what it's doing before you look at it closely. That right now, if, if something calls itself responsible or sustainable or ESG or any of these terms, it actually gives you no clue is really what it's doing uh, beneath the bonnet. So you do have to put in that the extra mile of re- research on this, and that will be a challenge for some. And the other thing is, of course, lots of advisors I talk to, I think if we, yeah, if we certainly took our lead from the financial press, we would probably believe that ESG is the only issue that everyone's talking about when they get out and meet real, real investors, real clients. When I talk to advisors, that's not the case. People are interested in it, but it represents a, quite a small bit of their client base. Yes, it's increasing, but it's not the dominant factor that people are really interested in right now. Interesting on that, I, I, we're finding that um, end clients, uh, the, their interest in ESG peaked in about October. <laughs> with, how, with do you, whole, how do you define that? What do you mean by that? As in just... Um, just uh, question, questions and conversations to, a, to their advisor. Kind of the, the, the amount of questions on ESG peaked in October, early November, and has disappeared a bit off the radar since then. Now, that probably coincided with COP in COP twenty six or whatever it's called in uh, in Glasgow, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and it's kind of disappeared off the radar again. Um, so uh, it's not it to, to me. It, it's I think Ryan's right. You know, it's no different to you know determining what difference between those two funds, fund A and fund B. You know, what's think- it for ESG? Is it this or is it this? Sorry to interrupt you, Ben. So um, I, I think you, you almost need to differentiate between the types of investors that have been investing in this this type of strategy and will be going forward. You've you've got those that absolutely are are, are investing in the ESG because that that's a that's a belief. It's it's a way that they want to invest. But I think there's also I think we should all acknowledge that an asset managers have acknowledged there is a group of investors there that have, have invested in this space because it offered attractive returns. Um, and you can separate. Yeah, out the two. So the long-term trend between people wanting to do more good with their money, I think, I think, yeah, that is a, that is a, that, that is there's some substance to that statement in the long run. Uh, but there was a rump of people that invest in these strategies because they appeared at the top of the pop charts, uh, and the fact that it, it 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 contributed some good to the world, I think, was the cherry on the icing on the cake. It wasn't the cake in its own right. Mm. Because the other yeah. thing we haven't talked about is Article Eight and Article Nine as well, you know, and how that that um, I hadn't realised that actually fund groups self determine which which uh, offshore funds obviously we're talking about, um, which um, what fund classifies as what. I assumed there was like a, an external body saying that's an eight and that's a nine, but no fund groups get to choose themselves, which muddies the water even more. I think, um, and mm. there are some funds you look at and go, well, how's that an Article Nine? when I thought the rules were that and not on Article 8. It's quite, it, it, again, it adds more confusion to the whole um, the whole space. It sounds like that's part and parcel of the EU being the first sort of body to try and implement them. And they almost seem to do a, go too wide and then start to filter through. But yeah, it does, um, it does sound like there's been a lot of criticism in the past year or so on those definitions that they just well, haven't quite had enough feedback from the, the fund industry. Well, they split out Article 8 into Article 8A and Article 8B now as well, haven't they? And it's just kind of well, it's getting a bit ridiculous again. Um, I thought the original idea with the intention was quite good. 
you know, Article 9, effectively positive impact. Article 8, pretty heavy ESG kind of thing. And everything else was, you know, whatever the other number was. But it does seem to be a bit more, a lot more nuanced than that with fund groups getting to decide where they sit, which doesn't, which feels a bit odd, actually. Um, I did hear, albeit secondhand bit of information, but uh, but someone in the industry I was talking to was chatting to the Luxembourg regulator about Article 8 and 9. Uh, and uh, the feedback was that they'd been very surprised as to how it had been used as a marketing tool, um, which probably sounds quite naive. Um, but but I think it, it was there to help as a classification that in their mind, for, so I heard, it wasn't designed to be used as a marketing sense, whereas I think we all know that is exactly how it, it, it yeah. is being used. It's kind of front and centre. This is Article 8, this is Article 9. So I think that's why we've been around long enough to, to hold some you know, relatively cynical views about how our, our, our asset management uh, friends uh, operate uh, in, in in this space, and we, we've seen it before with, with other things, and perhaps we're seeing some of the same characteristics again. Ryan, just to pick up on something you said about uh, the rush of investing in ESG has sort of been absorbed into the Russian investing in growth in general, and that that's sort of been a ten-year um, growth sector. You sort of hinted that we that sort of might come out in the wash now that growth might not be doing as well. It's a bit more volatile. It's not as the the returns aren't as guaranteed. Do you think we'll now start to see a lot of people really differentiating what they mean by ESG and actually saying, I didn't mean ESG, I meant growth or ESG is nice to have, but actually I just said it because it was doing really well and I'd rather make money now that it's not that big, nice, you know, growth. Sector. Yeah, I, I think we're already seeing a little bit of a shift in the narrative of yeah, we we only invest in the best companies. To now we we invest in the best companies in each sector. We we invest in those that are transitioning, not those and, and leading, rather than excluding uh, those that we don't like. So I think there's already a little bit of a narrative shift going on in in the way that uh, the way that certain certain asset managers talk about this. Let's be honest, there is a spectrum uh, of the way that, that asset managers operate in, in, in this space, and there are there are some that are very experienced have been doing this 20, 30, 40 years, of course. And if you cut them in half, you know, it says ESG. So you know, we should, again, we should separate out those from perhaps those asset managers that are more recent converts to the benefits uh, of, of ESG. Who, who could you name names? Who are the sort of top two or three who've done it really well? Yeah, I mean, we like those asset managers that have got real heritage in, in this story. So, so, so people like um, BMO, um, Royal London, uh, the team at Lion Trust, who of course go back long before Lion Trust. Yeah, we are we are talking about people that have invested in this space. I think Friends, as it was, Friends Providence stewardship goes right back to 1981, and of course, mm. Friends Providence turned into BMO, which is now turning into to, to thread needles. So yeah, there are people around in this industry that have seen many a cycle that have that have really grown with the concept of firstly ethical and negative screen into responsible, socially responsible ESG investing and now into impact investing. So our focus has been on those that have really got the heritage, um, who, who who can actually back up the story with a lot of substance rather than the new uh, converts who uh, suddenly, having never talked to me about ESG, have put it on page two of their presentation and told me that they always did it. They just didn't think it was important enough to tell me. Sure. And finally, Ben, is there anything you would um, advise advisors to do in the next couple of months to prepare their clients for the continuing volatility in these sort of ESG growth tech stocks? Um, I think the key thing is, um, my view has always been to have balance 
in portfolios. And if you've only got ESG funds or uh, impact funds, you're going to be pointing in one direction. And actually, the, the market is changing. There are value-style sustainable funds. Schroeder's Schroeder have just launched their global one. Um, you know, there's a number of others out there. And my concern is, is you know, direction bets all going the same way. You know, and that's that's not good. You're not going to have a good client outcomes for that. You know, you might make more money in 10 years' time, but will that client still be with you in 10 years' time if they've had two years of underperformance because they haven't had any balance in their portfolio because the bets are all in one direction? It's like buying more than one Bailey Gifford fund. Absolutely no bloody point. You know, you might as well have one fund with them because everything goes, they're all highly correlated. Just have one fund. Pick, pick which one you want, whether it's China, whether it's, I don't care, Japan, manage and just stick with that one for the long term and buy the stuff around it. You don't want everything pointing the same way. And the same is true with ESG. And I say it's getting more nuanced now. You are getting more additions to the market. Yeah, the Schroders Fund, for example, from their value team, interesting new addition to the market. Um, whether you agree with it or not, it's irrelevant. But it, it's at least it's there's more diversity around style and size and geography now. I mean, Aberdeen have got um, an emerging market Article 9 fund, which I was slightly surprised at. That was Article 9. You know, uh, So there's more and more of these things coming out now. So you can get better balance in your portfolios than maybe even two years ago. Ryan, is there anything else you'd add? Yeah, I think Ben's hit the nail on the head. I, I think it's what's really important as ever is investors understand what they're buying. Uh, they're, they're, if they do have a collection of ESG funds. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. They understand and acknowledge the tilts that that will bring to their portfolio. I have no problem if someone wants to put 10 ESG funds in a portfolio and run it like that, if they're comfortable with the biases that it builds into the portfolio. If they're not comfortable, they need to address it, but they at the very least need to understand the, the consequences it has of, of putting together funds that, as Ben says, may all point in the same direction. Yeah. We're sadly running out of time, but Ryan and Ben, thank you for your comments and for speaking to FT Advisors Day, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>